Hi, this is the See You Next Tuesday podcast. We have dirty words and shit potholes throughout the entire episode. Our name literally spells Kant. How could you not know what was coming? Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of the See You Next Tuesday podcast. I'm Jesse. I'm Amanda. And we're coming live from Amanda's house. How you Hello. feel? What? What? <laughs> the Astoria. The Astoria. Yes. Thank you. Let me try that again. And we're coming live from the Astoria. Because I'm bougie as fuck and I <laughs> named my house. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Woo. We want to also warn you against drinking bad drinks yeah the and not just the ones where people put something in them yes that yes but we're talking about botarita yeah don't buy the botarita it's a swing and a miss it's a big miss not a great we're suffering through it though i'm helping you with this you know because i'm a ride or die Oh my god. <laughs> so if you're gonna suffer, I might as well suffer. We'll suffer together. I mean, I did have real good wine in the fridge. You could have opened that. Well, you seem to be like me. And and I'm, this is the analogy I'm gonna make between you opening up this boterita that's horrendous and you're still gonna finish it. You're like, fuck it, it's open, I gotta finish it. I'm like that with TV shows. No matter how good or bad it is, I find it extremely difficult to not finish it to find out what the hell happens. I do not do that with TV, but I 100% do that with books. Oh, really? You'll just keep reading. You're like, fuck it. I'm already in. Mm-hmm. Yep. What was, do you want to say the worst book you've ever read? I don't know. That's a tough question. I don't know if I could think of any. Because honestly, I, I've read some books where I was like, okay, it was okay. But I've never read one where I was like, that was horrendous. Okay, I'm actually going to take that back. Yep. Okay. Fifty Shades of Grey. I never read that because I heard how... Okay. Some people were like, it's great. And then other people were like, it's bad. I'm like, if you're going to read erotica, go balls to the wall and fucking read the erotica. Oh, yeah. It's... Here's why I say that. And this is someone who hasn't read erotica pre that book. I was just so curious. I read the fir- um, the whole first book and a quarter of the way into the second one and I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, fuck it. How she writes is like a, a high school girl writing about her crush and how she's just like, orgasm on, orgasm on. And you're like, okay, girl. Like, And also, by the way, she's a virgin. And the instant... She was touched by him. She just, ah, instantly. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I don't know about your first time. Nope. But mm-mm. mine was not like that. Nope. Mm-mm. So, and I know, again, it is erotic fiction. I get it. It's all the ideal world. So I kind of put that to the side. But the one thing I could not get over was her childish writing style. It really is so annoying it's like she's she's talking down to the reader it's like why can't we have and actually i'm sure there is some some smart erotic fiction like for people like you know like we're not idiots we're not just horned up and like whoop i've also heard the grammar's really bad oh it's awful and i can't stand bad grammar agreed it was bad in when you speak to me or when i read you won't like it then oh okay good you probably would put it down and go okay i can't I can't with this. I would finish it. Would you? You? I, I, I would. The book I'm reading now, it's good. But let me tell you, there are 500 characters in this book. Mm. And it's annoying the fuck out of me. I can't tell you how many times, like, I pick it up to, I read before bed. And I pick it up at night to read. And I'm like, who the fuck is this again? And I have to, like, go back and, like, I got to stop for a hot second and think about who is this? Wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah, she's the neighbor. It, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like um, George R. R. Martin, like how he writes his characters for Game of Thrones. At least I didn't read it. Oh, my God. I, I can't even imagine reading those books. They seem very dense. But the characters, man, he introduces so many fucking characters that you're like, hold on. 
who is this person again? Like you, you literally have to have like their family tree out just to f- understand who the hell this person is. I mean, they're not even family members. She just is like, I don't even know if it's a she, but the writer just threw in 18,000 characters. <laughs> You're like, why? I'm like, not necessary. Okay, I get it. The whole town hates her because they think she killed her husband. Okay. But we don't need everybody mm-hmm. in town's backstory. Nope. Unless they have something to do plot point wise in the future for developing people or something. Right, but we don't right. need, otherwise, cut them loose. But on a separate note, you have a new fun game that you'd like to play with all our cunties out there. Yes, and I was about to bring it up. This is called Psycho or Pentecostal. I'm so excited. Yay! And real quick, we're not shitting on your religion. Oh, no, 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 no. We just want to prelim that. Believe whatever you believe. We're talking about people who are very fringe. Not, like, average every day. So... Let's get into it. Psycho or Pentecostal? Okay. I'm excited. I have two quotes here. Okay. And wait, so we have to decide if this is a Psycho or Pentecostal. Right. Okay. One is long and one is short. Okay. And by the way, Puma is also joining us. And if you hear rumblings. I'm wondering what he's doing. Or whatever. He's climbing on a chair. Oh, he wants to look out the window. Dude, the window's halfway up the wall. That's not gonna work, bud. Oh, he's totally getting up there. Okay, ready (sighs) for Psycho or Pentecostal? Let's go. Don't look. I'm not... Okay, I'm looking. I'm I'm gonna look the other way. Okay, go. Now, when I... I would love to put in um, the punctuation in my quotes, but I feel it would give it away. Okay, so are you just going to read this like without any punctuation? Just like no intonation? I'm going to try real hard because you know how much I love to add my own little spin. Spice. I am so thankful for this man right here. He has sacrificed so much over the last week for us, even though his heart is hurting more than ours. Death is never easy. Never an easy thing, especially when you lose your best friend. But he has handled life this week with such strength. So thankful for him to be coming home for the weekend, even if it is for a very sad situation. Together we will stand to face the rest of the world. I just want to give honor where it is due. I love you and can't wait to hear that truck pulling in our driveway. Okay. Quote two. Words build bridges into unexplored regions. Uh, I'm I'm going to vote both Pentecostal for 500, Alex. Quote one is a Facebook post Uh by a Pentecostal about her husband coming home for his best friend's funeral. Okay, so is that her way of kind of like saying how you make somebody else's death about yourself? Oh, that right there, that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. And quote number two is from Adolf Hitler. No. Oh my God. What? <laughs> oh my God. Was that not fun? I'm horrified right now. Wait, so. Why, why in a Hitler quote, girl? Why, why didn't you choose like literally anyone else? So I did not search for a Hitler quote, but when you search for, um, Facebook post written by psychopaths, you get all of these, um, websites telling you how to tell if your Facebook friends are psychopaths or not based on their Facebook posts. And I had a really hard time. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to search like, so then I was like, Facebook post written by Chris Watts. And then I was just getting Facebook post written by his wife. I'm like, that's not the game. Well, yeah, because I mean, Shannon was the Facebook mom. Yeah. So. so then it was rough. I was looking for this quote when you got to my house because I forgot we were going <laughs> to play this game. So she, you were in a rush and you're like, okay, that works. 
Yes. Got it. So by no means are we comparing the two, in other words. No, no, no. By no means. No. I needed something that would sound like it could have been written by somebody religious. Yes, I could see that. Honestly, what I was thinking was like a cult leader. I thought that sounded very Jim Jonesy to me. So, I mean, which really, if you want to really look at it, if you want to broaden the term of cult, Hitler was. He was a cult leader. That's exactly what that is. Mm-hmm. But. So. Oh. I had to find something similar to my narcissistic Pentecostal quote. Fascinating. It's like entomology, like studying anthropology, you know, like into a different, entirely different culture. Truly. Oh, and speaking of, um, it's well aired by now, but if you haven't caught up on The Way Down, the last two episodes or or a couple episodes there on HBO about Gwen Shamblin and the Remnant Church. Girl, I'm telling you, she's the lady with the big ass hair. Blonde lady. Yeah. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> you guys have to watch that show. It is insane. I mean, as much as many cults as we've talked about, we went through the Duggars and all of that stuff. I don't know why it still shocks me. Sentencing's coming up on May 25th. Oh, is it really? Ooh, that's right on the corner. And a recent picture has surfaced of Anna, his wife, and homegirl looks pregnant. Recent? Mm-hmm. Is he allowed conjugals? No. So she would have gotten pregnant between her baby being born in October and him going to jail in December. Oh, because they were together during that time. Mm-hmm. Pre-trial. Mm-hmm. Ew. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. But here's the thing. I, I, under, I understand why she allowed that to happen because that's what she's taught to do. Because she's brainwashed. Yeah. They're taught that having children is your worth in life and being the perfect wife, mother, all of that is your ultimate goal and to be a godly woman. So you're, you serve your husband and if he wants sex, when he wants sex, that's what you do. And she has been brainwashed to believe he didn't do these things. Yep. Which is, Mm -hmm. my God, please. Mm -hmm. Honestly. She sat in that courtroom every day. And believes he didn't do this. I don't know if she, I personally don't think in her heart of hearts, I'm like, I'm holding out hope that she doesn't. I don't think she does. I think she's having to toe the line because that's the only place she can keep her kids because she doesn't have a job. And she's she, got, what, seven kids? She could go home to her her own family. Would they take her back? Or, or are they kind of like the Duggars? Are they the same? They're the same, but I mean, I can't imagine not taking your own daughter back. Oh, wow. In a situation like that. Huh. Well, as someone who's been disowned before, I can. <laughs> and it was for way less than that. How do you get disowned? Because I'd like to jump on that train. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we're, we're, we're more than happy to mom anybody out there who needs a mom. Oh! oh. Because, dude, we understand. We okay. feel you in our own ways. Okay. I have found the most precious soul on TikTok. Hold on. I have to find her. Okay. Yeah. Following. I'm only following 11 people, so it will be easy. It'll be a pretty quick... I'm following like 300. (laughs) No, because I think that's also why we're... The the whole game cycle... Oh, I'm following 26. I have 11 followers. I don't know how. I don't post anything on TikTok. Yeah. Okay. Dylan. Dylan is her name. So she is becoming a girl... And she's telling her journey of becoming a girl on TikTok. Oh, my God. And she posts videos. Day 30 of becoming a girl. Oh, I love it. And it is the most precious thing ever. And the first... Oh, here we go. Dylan M-U-L-V-A-N-E-Y. Mulvaney? Oh, Dylan, honey. So... Look how cute she is. Okay. Okay, pigtails. Loving. Oh, look at the little mini space buns. One of the yes, first. love this. I think the first video I saw of hers, I don't remember which day it was. It was one of the first days of being a girl. She was in the women's restroom. And somebody in the restroom asked if she had like a tampon or something. 
And she didn't. And so she was like, I'm going to keep tampons in my purse from now on. Do I need them? No, but you're going to need them. I'm going to keep them in my purse. I'm going to keep them in my house. So just so you know, if anyone ever needs a tampon, I'm going to have one for you. I love you, Dylan. Also, how validating, you know? Hey, girl, do you have a tampon? Right? Like, that is so, like, hell yeah. You're one of us. Join the sisterhood. Oh, this is so cute. We'll definitely have um, Dylan in our blog on our website so you can follow her and her story. I also think it's so cool because other people might be going through the same thing. And it's like, here's what mine looks like. Yours might be totally different. But, like, look at her sunglasses. They're heart-shaped. I love it. She is so cute. I'm just saying it's adorable. We need some positivity in the world right now. I have to tell you about murder. So I I have to tell you about Dylan because she's adorbs. And I love her videos because it's like, okay, day three of being a girl. And then a lot of her, some of her videos, I have seen her where she's crying because she's like, some of the comments are so mean and they're mm. directly at me and those are like heartbreaking. And you know what to those people? Go fuck un- yourself. Go fuck yourself first off, absolutely. And also just unfollow. Yeah, guess Th- what? It's that easy. You know how easy mm. it is to scroll up and not even watch the fucking video? Wow, it surprising. Takes, it takes more of your time and energy to type out a rude fucking message that actually does not even affect you. Correct. Not at all. Yes. Guess what? I'm not religious. You telling me to go, you talking about religious things and telling me I need Jesus affects me more than Dylan and her journey. Yeah. It affects you. It's it's just, I mean, I think that's also why, you know, we kind of joke around the psychopath and or, you know, Pentecostal is because Religion has unfortunately hurt so many pe- really, really good people. And it, it's like, it, sh- it should be doing the opposite. Your, religion or your faith should be with people who love you and want you to be your best self. And so that's why we were just rally so hard against that type of behavior. Because, you know, there are a lot of good Christian people out there who really do want people to have equal rights like that. What was it from Michigan? Um, Mallory, um, I sent you the text. I can't remember her name, but she's a congressman running against uh, the incumbent Republican. Yeah. Who was basically like, I am a white single, or I'm a white uh, married cisgendered mother Christian who believes that everyone should have equal rights. And I'm like, exactly, more. And she's like, and the reason I'm saying that is because more people like myself need to stand up and say it. And I was like, yes, completely agree. Because unfortunately, the people who are horrendous have co-opted Christianity as their own, which is why we just want always are like, what's with this hypocrisy of like, I can't wait for my husband to be home so we can go to a funeral. It's like, girl, what are you? Ew. I mean, it's like. What? I can't tell you how many times um, I hear people go, oh, you know, God this, God that, I'm a Christian, I'm going to church, blah, 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 blah. And then they say mean things about people. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? You literally were just in church talking about loving everybody and the meek will inherit the earth. And then you're out here like shitting on people. Yeah. So so. anyway, all that to say, we love you how you are, no matter what you believe, what you don't believe. And you and ready this conversation, the irony upon irony Ah. is I'm going to tell you about Fred Newlander. Ooh. Let me tell you about him. Yeah, tell me about this irony. So he was born August 14th, 1941, and he graduated from Trinity College in 1963, where he became Rabbi Fred. Oh, geez. <laughs> Talking about religion. <laughs> we really didn't plan that. I'm telling you, synchronicity. We, we, had, 
We didn't plan that, but here we go with Rabbi Fred. Here we go. In fact, he was a sixth-generation rabbi, and he started out as the assistant rabbi at Temple Emmanuel in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And um, then Fred became the founding rabbi of the congregation Imkor Shalom Reform Temple in Cherry Hill in the summer of 1974. And 20 years later, with more than 900 families, the members, 900 families as members of the synagogue, it was the largest Jewish temple in southern New Jersey. So Fred built this gigantic Jewish temple, which, by the way, if I was going to be religious, Judaism would be high up on the list of what I would choose. Agreed. A, there's no hell. Well, and B through Z, the comedy is great. Yes. Yeah. So Fred was married to Carol, and they had three children. Carol was a bakery manager. So they're cute. They're happy. Everything's great. Right? Oh, yeah. The, the nothing bad is about to happen. Nope. Well, until November 1st, 1994, when Fred came home from the synagogue and found Carol... Covered in blood, sprawled across the parlor floor. Okay. I'm believing his side of the story at this point, right? Well, he was at the synagogue. And people saw him there? Yeah. Okay. He ran out of the room and called 911. Carol's murder um, shocked the entire congregation and the community as a whole. But... There were rumors about Fred being unfaithful, and they ran rampant through the rumor mill. And allegedly, he would lavish special attention upon the attractive women during the Friday services at the temple. Hmm. Fred. Gotta be in a little bit of a douche, dude. I mean, Rabbi Fred, that's something a Baptist preacher would do. (laughs) Yeah. Not a, well. Because, you know, hmm. that dancing leads to mattress dancing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you, you know how that is. The music gets your nether regions <laughs> <up>. all frothing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're like, Ooh! yep, pregnant. <laughs> so February 1995, Fred just thought it would be best to resign as the rabbi of the congregation. Um. Gee, you think that would be a good idea, Fred? Especially since the police told the temple officials there were at least three women in the congregation you were having affairs with, and you were now a suspect in Carol's murder. So yeah. that, that that was probably a good idea that you resigned, Fred. Yeah, it's uh, definitely not a bad idea. But, you know, it took you like a whole six months to be like... Gee, you think I should step down now? So it actually took police eight years of investigating to put all the puzzle police... Puzzle... (laughs) Say the word. Pieces. Thank you. Got it. Together. It's been a long fucking week. Yes, And the Boderita is... Twisting my tongue. So what really happened that faithful night, November 1st? Since Fred was at the temple, how could he have killed Carol? I'm going to tell you. There was a knock at the door and Carol opened it to find two men who said they knew Fred. So she let them in the house. Y'all, don't trust anyone. Just don't answer the door. If you do, answer it armed. If they say you're... They're your husband's friends. Still don't answer it. Yeah, and shouldn't you know your husband's friends? Like, oh, hey, it's Steve and Dave, you know, like. Even if you do know Steve and Dave, why are they there when (laughs) Fred's not? True. Absolutely. That's a, hey, what's up? Yeah. Where's Fred? Why is Steve and Dave here? Always be suspicious. So, that's your daily advice, everyone. So... Carol let the pair in the house. One of these fuckers smashed her skull in from behind with a pipe. 
While Kara was repeatedly asking why, she crumpled to the floor. The men continued beating her head in until she died. That's when Fred returned home from the temple at 9.20 that night and found Carol and called 911. So Fred was asking the 911 operator, should I touch her? Okay. To me, this is super sus because if I found the poor pod hubby lying on the floor in blood when I got home, I would have already touched him trying to figure out, is he dead? Is he alive? Can I stop the bleeding? I'd be doing all this before I called 911 or while I was still on the phone. Exactly. I mean, because that's the first inclination is to rush over to the person and hold and touch them. Like, just to figure out, are they are their, their chest moving? Is their chest is moving? Is they awake? Can they respond to you? Right. Even if their head looks like mush, you're still like, oh, please, God, don't let this be happening. Right. Right. You'd run over. You'd be like... Bottomy, bottomy, are you okay? You'd be like putting something on their head. Yeah. Stop the bleeding. Calling the cops. Somewhere mess. in there. Exactly. Like, exactly. Okay. Oh so police, EMS, Matthew, their adult son, they all arrived. And that's when they learned Fred, the Jewish rabbi, didn't say the Vidawi prayer. Please forgive me. I don't know how to pronounce that. So that's actually the Jewish last rites. Oh. He did not say that over his wife of almost 29 years. Oh, that's not good. And then it hit everyone like a ton of bricks that there was not one drop of blood on Fred. And he was just standing outside without any emotions. Hmm. Hmm. I'm sorry, Fred. What the fuck? So once the police found out that, shock of all shocks, Fred had been mattress dancing for two years with Elaine Sonchini, a Philadelphia radio personality. What the fuck? (laughs) A radio personality and a rabbi walk into a bar. Like, what in the hell is happening here? With no blood on them. Yeah. Oh, God. So Fred and Elaine had met in December of 1992 when Fred visited Elaine's Jewish husband the night he died in the hospital. And Fred was also involved in Elaine's husband's funeral. Fred then called her 10 days later and suggested they have lunch. And within the month, they were bumping uglies. Oh, the old lunch trick. Uh Uh-huh. And apparently, Fred's a really fucking amazing rabbi because Elaine, who was a Catholic, chose to convert to Judaism under Fred's tutelage because of how impressed with him she was um, during her small interaction, during her husband's dying in the hospital. Okay, so... (sighs) So, in the hospital, she's like, he's a great rabbi. He gave my husband his last Jewish rites, and then we had lunch. I'm going to become a... I'm going to join Judaism from Catholicism. He's a great rabbi. No, his dick is parked in your garage. (laughs) Yep. And you just want to make sure you have access to it whenever you can. Which, hey, you know, apparently, if he is slinging dick, he's... he's, Maybe he's got something that, uh... We just don't know about it, You know what I mean? Fred can keep it far away from me. Yeah, no, Because he no, probably also course. has VD. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Ugh. So the summer of 1994, Elaine gave Fred the ultimatum that every Sancha gives. Yep. The husband. Mm-hmm. Leave the wife or I'm going to end the relationship. Yep. So Fred promised her they would be together by her birthday in December. So Lane continued to see Fred even after his wife's death. So he promised her they were going to be together by her birthday in December, and his wife died in November. Hmm. Hmm. And then she continued to see him after his wife died. Well, of course. Until the police told her about the two other buns he was putting his wiener in. Aha. Uh-huh. I knew it. I was like, she can't be the only one, especially if he's flirty with all the, you know, church members. 
And that's where she drew the line. She didn't draw the line at the fact he was fucking married. She drew the line at the fact he had two other women on the side. Well, she wants to be the only side piece. Hello? I mean, if you're a side piece, you do you, boo-boo, but explain to me this logic. Yeah. It's okay for him to be married, but not okay for him to have other side pieces? Right, right. It's like, well, but he's cheating on her with you, so cheating is kind of like a... He's like, fine did with you it. not expect him to be? Right. <laughs> like, right. Like, also, women, explain this to me. You get the wife, you get the man to divorce his wife and marry you. And then he cheats on you with somebody else and you get mad. Did you not expect that? Right. Like, well, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting. Like, I, I expect that. Well, like, yeah. I mean, you'd think, okay, well, the likelihood of us, of him being faithful to me, if I was the other woman, right? So what happened? So who are these other bitches? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) So Fred becomes a suspect, right? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. No last rights. Non-emotional. Doing all the wrong things. You got a lot of women. So the police... Um, speculated that Fred didn't really want to divorce his wife because it would bring too much embarrassment. So, um, but he did swear up and down. He was not seeing a side piece and that he loved his wife. Um, but, you know, the fact that he saw his wife bleeding on the floor and did nothing was just such a red flag. The police were like, sorry, brah. You had to have something to do with it. So December 1994, Fred failed a lie detector. I mean, at least we know he wasn't a sociopath. That's true. So there's fun. Um, In 1998, Fred was finally indicted for the murder using purely circumstantial evidence. And then two two days, bless my heart, two years later in April 2000, I love this name, Lynn Jinoff. Jinoff? Jinoff. Nice. A PI Fred was paying to investigate Carol's murder. Like, this whole part of the story just totally, I'm like, I don't even know. Like, are you punking me that this is true? Who he was paying to investigate Carol's murder was persuaded by a Philadelphia Inquirer reporter to tell the police what he knew. You want to oh. know what Lynn knew? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, the summer of 94, Fred told Elaine he was having nightmares. Um, he said he was having bad dreams that violence was going to come to Carol. And that he was going to be in a tumultuous fall. So, Lynn then dropped this bomb that he that Lynn had an accomplice, Paul Daniels, and that the two of them killed Carol. Why did he hire a PI to investigate Carol's murder that was involved in ki- killing Carol? <laughs> I don't know. That makes no sense. No, no. Uh, okay. But not only that, Rabbi Fred paid them to kill her. Of course he did. So there's a paper trail now. Good job, dude. He, so now it's murder for hire, which is even fucking worse. Yeah. Dumb shit. And he only paid them $18,000 to kill Carol and make it look like a botched robbery. That's it? Man, if you're going to ask me, you're going to have to have an M at the end of that. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it's going to be a high M. Oh, for sure. A big M. A big M. <laughs> yeah. Because if I'm going to jail because you a oh. dumbass... I want to make sure everybody's taken care of. I want to make sure I'm going to get a lot of noodles in prison. Yep. I'm going to be the fattest bitch on the block. Noodles is currency. (laughs) Exactly. Noodles is currency. Exactly. So here's a fun fact about our PI friend, Lynn. He was known in the community as a storyteller. So let me tell you some of the fun things Lynn has claimed. He was a former CIA agent. A former FBI agent. A comrade in arms of President Ronald Reagan. A player in the Iran-Contra affair. (laughs) 
a former police officer. He was a candidate for the Israeli intelligence service. (laughs) Mossad. And he had tried three times to kill Cuban dictator Fidel Castro for the CIA. This motherfucker said he was part of the Mossad. Right, dude. So I'm pretty fucking sure he did absolutely none of those things. So did he really kill Carol for Fred? I mean... That actually might be the only true thing he said. I mean, because in May 2000, Paul, who he said was his, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The person that helped him. His, uh... (laughs) Accomplice. Yes, thank you. Uh Uh-huh. Paul also confessed to the crime as well, saying Fred killed them to pay... Fred paid them to kill his wife. So now we have both of them that have confessed. So obviously, Lynn did kill Carol. So they both pled guilty to aggravated manslaughter. Okay. But, you know, I'm sure it was aggravated manslaughter because I'm sure they turned on Fred. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) I would. So Fred and Carol's daughter, Rebecca, told police that she was talking to her mom on the phone when she got home from the bakery and ended their conversations just minutes before she was killed. Carol said that the quote-unquote bathroom man, which is who they called, or what they called Lynn, because he had been over before and asked to use the bathroom, had arrived, and Carol had told Rebecca that Fred had told her to expect a delivery that night. And Rebecca testified this to this at the trial. So Carol was actually expecting Lynn to stop by and drop something off that night because Fred had told Carol, hey, my buddy Lynn's stopping by. And so when Carol was talking to Rebecca, she had said, hey, the bathroom man's coming over to drop this package off for your dad. And she referred to him as that because that's what they called him. You know, I make up code names for my coworkers. Yeah, of course. You know, same thing. Dude, and also how fucking nefarious is that? He's literally... Setting up, he's obviously, I mean, he's obviously setting up his wife to be murdered, but he wants her to be okay with answering the door because he wants it to go through. Mm-hmm. That explains what you were talking about earlier. Like, why would you answer the door? Well, she, this is why she did. Because she was like, oh, okay, no worries. Because, yeah, you're going to trust your husband. He says, hey, a package is arriving. You're like, cool, okay, whatever. Yeah. That's so, ah, oh, it's cruel. Ladies, if your husband says his buddy's dropping by when he's not home, Don't answer the fucking door or grab the gun to do it. This is why you need it to be armed. (laughs) Maybe pepper spray, stun gun, if you're not comfortable with lethal lethal methods. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Murder's never the answer. Protect yourself. So Fred's trial started August 20th, 2001 in Camden County before Judge Linda G. Baxter... During the trial, Lynn testified that Fred's plan was to be seen at the synagogue while Carol was being murdered. And witnesses testified that Fred was at the temple that night, which was extremely unusual. He set in on Judaism classes and choir practices, and he was in a good mood. And Fred didn't take the stand in his own defense, saying he did take the stand in his own defense, saying he was innocent. But under cross-examination, he crumbled. Because of course he did. He's a little bitch. He couldn't even kill his wife himself. He admitted that he lied to the police immediately after the murder when he denied having affairs. On the stand, he said he never loved Elaine. Of course he didn't. And never planned on leaving his wife. Of course he didn't. Um, But the prosecution was ready for all of his bullshit and played a message From Elaine's answering machine where Fred told her she was the most wonderful thing that came into his life. Oh, God. But the jury was unable to reach a verdict. And on November 13th, 2001, the judge declared a mistrial due to a hung jury 9-3. What? And it was rumored to be in favor of guilt. When Fred got this news, he just sat there and grinned. Ugh. 
There was so much media coverage in Camden County that his second trial was moved to Monmouth County. Now, Fred's son, Matthew, testified at both trials. Um, At the first trial, Matthew's testimony was kind of half-assed. But during trial numero dos, Matthew had determined Fred was guilty. And his testimony reflected that. So during the second trial, Matthew only referred to his father as Fred. And he said that he was shocked at Fred's lack of reaction on the night of the murder. And that Fred did nothing to protect his son from going into the house um, and seeing his mom. But the rescue workers had to physically restrain him and seeing the state of his mother's body. Matthew also said he was convinced of his father's guilt after Fred testified on his own behalf. He said, and I quote, I sat there and I watched him lie repeatedly and baldly during his testimony. Lies that perhaps may had may have may not even been evident probably to people watching, but lies that I knew because I was there. It really became cemented for me that a man who's innocent wouldn't need to tell untruths in this way. That's his own son? Yep. Damn, dude. He's right. Matthew don't play. No, he's absolutely right. Matthew said, um, or I'm sorry, during Matthew's testimony, he told the court about a fight he saw between Fred and Carol two days before Carol was killed. Carol said, um, Carol asked Fred while they were fighting if he wanted to stay in the marriage, and Fred just sat at the kitchen table where he bowed his head and said, no, it's over. During the retrial, there were also numerous witnesses that that testified that Fred did do a pop-in at the temple, which was odd for him that night of the week, even stopping in for choir practice, which people thought was really weird. Like, Fred just was never at the temple that night of the week. I can't remember if it was a Tuesday or Thursday. But Fred was never there those nights. Hmm. And, of course, he had to be there because he didn't want to be at home. Right, because then it, it doesn't help his case. Exactly. So this time, the jury found Fred guilty. About time, yeah. Fred is the only rabbi to ever have been convicted of capital murder in the United States. The jury did spare Fred the death penalty and sentenced him to 30 years to life at the New Jersey State Prison in Trenton. In an interview with Barbara Walters, you know your big time when you get to talk to Babs. I know. Babs. Call us. We want to talk to you. Seriously. Is she still alive? I, she is. I, don't, I think she retired, though, a uh, hot minute ago. Come out of retirement. <laughs> Fred said, and I quote, you have no idea how much rage I have. Uh, you have rage? How about your family doesn't have their mother or sister or family member anymore? Yeah. And that he was sad that two of his three adult children testified against him. If you hadn't killed their fucking mother, they wouldn't have testified against you, you fucking dick. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Fred. (sighs) January 16th, 2003. Fred was sentenced and tried, and he actually tried to skip his own sentencing. The judge had to rule that he had to be there and listen to the statements of his victims' families. Good. In a rambling statement to the judge, Fred said, and I quote, I cannot express remorse for something I did not do. <laughs> you can't exp- You know what, Fred? Okay, I'll throw you a bone. You're wow. right. You technically did not kill her. That, correct. But really, we're arguing semantics over you. Fuck you, Fred. someone to kill you your wife. You know what, Fred? You know what, Fred? You're lucky you're Jewish and there is no hell. Oh, God. Ugh. I. Oy vey. <laughs> <laughs> December 2006, the New Jersey appeal court denied Fred's appeal. Fred's appeal was based on the defense that at trial, the court had not allowed Fred's counsel to argue a third-party 
liability defense based on a similar home invasion burglary murder that happened in Cherry Hill. Fred also argued that they should not have allowed the issue of double or triple layer hearsay evidence. <sighs> Whatever, Fred. Go fuck yourself. Murder's never the answer. If you wanted to be with Elaine, you should have just divorced Carol. Just get divorced. She would have been fine. The congregation wouldn't have given two shits. Because yes. guess what, Fred? Everybody knew you were banging your congregation anyways. And a congregation of 900, them old biddies were gossiping like you wouldn't believe. Oh, yeah. And here's the thing. From what I just recently learned... Divorce is totally okay in Judaism. And in fact, if a husband doesn't give a woman a divorce that she asks for, he would be basically held in contempt by the the leaders in the church and isn't allowed to go to synagogue until he gives her the divorce. Again, please correct me if that's incorrect. I am just scratching the surface here of Judaism. But I was like, that's awesome. But that's all you had to do, dude. Like, uh, you don't have to murder somebody to get out of... A relationship. I do not understand this. I mean, Fred, idea. Fred, bro. Everybody knew you were banging other people. Yeah, everybody. Why not just be like, it is what it is. Our marriage is over. I gots to go. I gots to bounce. Ugh, I don't get it. At all. Well, but that's the story of Fred, our very first rabbi ever to be convicted of capital murder. That is, I didn't know that. That was an interesting story. I'm sorry, I cannot speak today. No, that's fine. You've had a long week. And I'm drinking this toxic <laughs> Botarita. It's like, it's like the secret of the ooze from Ninja Turtles movie, dude. It's, it looks like it, too. Yeah. It looks like um, slime, you know, the slime kids play with. <laughs> and it's kind of syrupy like it, too. So it's almost like I feel like it should be mixed with something. You know what I mean? well let me take you in a different direction and um you're gonna get me upset no i i hope not there's a there's two points i want to make with this trophy person i'm about to do oh i know it's not a man now (laughs) it is a man (laughs) do i just need to get on social media or something because i've been off social media for a couple of days so I need to catch up on our Twitter. So, oh, look, we have new followers. Oh, cool. The person I'm going to be doing today is Seth Rogen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you know about Seth Rogen? He's a douchebag. What? Why would you say that? I love Seth. Uh, so Seth Rogen was born on April 15, 1982 in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. His family is Jewish, Ukrainian, slash Russian, and full of woke people. I thought that was funny. I put lol. <laughs> Does his, he even have kids? His mom, Sandy Belogus, that is her maiden name. That's fucking amazing. Is a Canadian social worker and his dad, American Mark Rogan. Never really had like a job job, but worked instead like for nonprofits and is the assistant director of the Workmen's Circle, a Jewish fraternal organization. He has one sister, Dana, and they grew up in a family that was part of like social justice and his parents actually met on a kibbutz. Oh, wait, hold on. I think I just had like a, um, I think I just had a, um, I think I just got confused. Is it Joe Rogan we all hate? Oh, yeah, we hate Joe Rogan. Okay, I got them confused. I heard, oh. I heard Rogan and I just oh, no. went douchebag. <laughs> Different Rogan. <laughs> yeah, this guy is not going to talk about how, like, Sandy Hook or some weird shit like that. Don't worry. Okay, I think I'm fine now. No, God, no. I think Why I'm, would I ever do Joe Rogan? <laughs> I think I'm tuning back in now to okay. your story. Oh, God. Who did you think I was just then? I don't know. That's why I was like douchebag. Oh, God. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. This is not. This is. Okay. You know, like Neighbors, the movie Neighbors. Do you ever watch that? You know, you have no watched that. 40 uh, Year Virgin. Yes. Yeah. Knocked Up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. Seth Rogen. No, I'm on the same page. Oh, God. <laughs> Ooh, you had me stressing. 
I was like, wait, you don't like Seth Rogen? He's not that bad. I mean, I get, not his comedy isn't for everybody, but. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, I'm going to tune back in now. Okay. I literally was catching up on all of our Twitter notifications because I was like, I'm tuning out now. So Seth Rogen, <laughs> his parents <laughs> met on a kibbutz or commune in Israel. And are, according to Seth, radical Jewish socialists, which I think is hilarious. Um, so just so you know, I'm going to let you know some of the sources for my story today, of course, wiki. Um, IMDb, biography.com. Do you say that just to set people off? No, I, uh, <laughs> I do it to set you off. <laughs> I'm kidding. And yes, I read a book. I read his book, your book by Seth Rogen. It's hilarious. I do recommend it. It was a quick read. It was like a day or two, max. It was really freaking hilarious. You read a book in two days? Believe it or not. You don't ever read books that fast. I know. Was it only like 30 pages? It was 260, but it was conversational English, so it was very easy to read. And just so you know, just so you know, little miss ma'am, I am also an eighth of the way through Dante's Inferno. Very proud of myself for that. It is a second read. But that's not the point. <laughs> that's not the point. I just know you don't read books very fast. I don't. You're right. I'm, I'm trying to read more so I can read them more quickly. I'm hoping it kind of like, you know, when you get into a routine, a habit, it becomes easier as it goes. Because I love reading. I just like, God, it just takes me so long. I read so fast. I know. I want to get like you, like nine books a month. It's incredible. It's probably more than that. Oh, my God. Rub it in. So anyway, I read his book. <laughs> he went to a Jewish elementary school, Vancouver Talmud Torah, and Point Grey Secondary School, where in Canada, and I, I don't know at the time when he went in like the 90s, it was a mix of 6th through 12th grade in one school. That is a bad idea, yeah. everyone. He said that. He was like, it was so strange to see like high schoolers. They look like adult adults because he was like in 6th grade. So can you imagine like... <laughs> Seeing these massive people as a like a kid. There must have been a lot of swirlies at that school. Oh, yes. 100%. So Seth wanted to be in comedy from a young age. And he really appreciated that he could be, quote unquote, funny as a job, as an adult. So he took a comedy workshop in 1994 at age 12, which he described in the book hilariously. Um. Can you learn to be funny? No. I don't feel like no. you just are. Like Yes, you're absolutely correct. Yes, you're taking a comedy workshop is like think about it. There's no comedy Oscars. You want to know why? Because comedy is subjective. Like you it, there's just no way to really do it. It's the same way you can't teach it. You either are or you're not. Yeah. So like when you say I'm like you're either yeah. funny or you're not. Like Oh, it was take a clap. Yeah, and he kind of describes that point. He was like, "This is a joke. Like, why am I here?" But he's twelve. He's thinking this is how comedians do it, right? They take the class. They go Mm -hmm. to the thing. It anyway. So, but he did learn how to write jokes, like the 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 style, like a template, which really helped him. And then at thirteen, he started to like do the comedy tour circuit in Vancouver. He started with like jokes about his grandparents. First chapter really adorable he even performed at yuck yucks the same place that jim carrey had been performing just a couple of years beforehand and his mom would drive him to and from his comedy shows that was like a point of pride for her i want to perform at yuck yucks i know i i want to know if yuck yucks is still there anybody in vancouver who listens is yuck yucks still there i'm not going to google it on purpose because i want to hear if it is our friends from disturbingly pragmatic oh they might know you're right mm-hmm. yeah so one time a Moyle paid him to write jokes for his ceremonies. Um, and for those of y'all who don't know what a Moyle is, it is, and this is according to Wiki, a specially trained in circumcision and the rituals surrounding the procedure. Many Mohalim are doctors or rabbis, and some are both, or cantors, and are required to receive appropriate training, both from the religious and medical fields. And holy shit, I just realized we synchronicity again, because I'm, I'm talking about a guy who's Jewish and you just did a rabbi. What the hell is going on? This is weird, y'all. Like, we literally do not tell each other who we're doing. In fact, I do like little code words on the titles of our, on our Google Word docs because we don't want to 
tell the other person who we're doing. I just label mine as episode whatever the number yeah, is. This is weird. Anyway. So Seth was confused as to why a moil would want like jokes for a very somber ceremony where, you know, you're circumcising a baby. But he was like, you know what? 50 bucks a joke, dude, and you got it. So the moil rolled up, not kidding, to collect his jokes in a Ferrari. <laughs> It's a very successful moil, which I just died. And um, he gave him all these jokes. And at first the guy was like, what the hell is this? And he's like, this is what I came up with. Get this. Here's one of them. He'll be the coolest kid in nursery. How many kids his age have survived a knife fight? But um bum Right? That's a, that's a solid joke. And there were some other ones in there. And I was like, okay. The guy took his money and... As much as he said he didn't like the jokes, according to legend, he's still telling those same jokes at his ceremonies to this day. I just want to say, I found this t-shirt, and I need someone to drop about 20 bucks in our um, Patreon so I can buy it. What is it? It says, go yuck yourself. Oh, you're on the Yuck Yucks website? Yes. Oh, so... Oh, well, Yuck Yucks is still around. That's good. That's great, though. Or it's an old website with old shirts. <laughs> and I need $18.99. You <laughs> got, got $3.50? So around the same time in 1995, at age 13, he and his friend Evan Goldberg wrote the bare bones script for what later became super bad. Oh, my God. I love that movie. I know. It's actually based on some of their life experiences, like the scene where he puts the beer in the laundry detergent thing. Yeah, he and his friends stole a keg of beer, and they tapped it, and then they just dis- they kept it in their rooms, warm, stale beer for months, and drank it. The scene where she periods on his yeah. pants yeah. makes me think of <laughs> our friend. <gasps> Dirty Twig? Yeah. Which one? There were a couple. We, you know, service industry. This is this is where you rename people, folk. Oh yeah, we knew a few girls like her, for sure. It makes me think of our male friend with the girl name because. Oh yeah. You know the dirty one that mm. perioded in on his pants. Oh yeah, yeah. The one that was banging him and his friends. Yes. Yes. So. At 16, around 1998, both his parents didn't have jobs, so they all had to move into a smaller apartment. And so with their family in a hard spot, Seth was like, okay, let me take on some auditions because I'm, you know, in that world. And he did one for a show that Judd Apatow was about to start called Freaks and Geeks. And yep, if we all know the history, he did get the part. And that was his kickstart into the movie industry completely. And being a full-time comedy writer and writer like what he wanted to be, an actor. And if you have not watched that show, find it. It's usually on Hulu a lot. It's such a good show. I love Freaks and Geeks. It was canceled after one season, which is... I've never seen it. Oh my God, you would love it. You would relate to it a lot, I think. Oh, um, that blonde hair girl that I love. Busy Phillips. Yeah, I love her. Yep, she was in that. That was her. It was James Franco. It was Seth Rogen. Um, gosh, Lin- Lindsay Fiorentino or something like that. Martin Starr. Shit. I mean, I could just keep talking about people. It was an incredible show. And I just was so upset. I was like, why is there only one season? <sighs> anyway, but Seth met James Franco here. And that's where they started their lifelong friendship. So those two guys are going to be in movies till the day they both die. And again, like I said, the rest, like I said, you said is history. He soon after got the part for Donnie Darko. He was then a 40-year-old virgin in 2005, Knocked Up in 2007, um, which I also love Knocked Up. I think that movie's hilarious. That has, um, what's the girl in that one? Uh, the blonde? Uh-huh. Katherine Heigl? Yes. I hate her. Yeah. Yeah. Not a fan. <laughs> Although, Wish Upon a Star was a phenomenal movie with her. Remember that? From the 90s? Okay. So, obviously, he also met a lot of other people who he then also took, like Franco, into other movies with him, like Martin Starr, Jason Siegel, Jay Bruchel, Jonah Hill, 
And they later tap all of those guys, plus Craig Robinson from the movie This Is The End. Fucking hilarious movie. (laughs) Do you want to see the craziest things like Rihanna slapped shit out of somebody? Absolutely watch that movie. It's great. He also eventually wrote and co-starred in Superbad, of course, and Pineapple Express in 2007 and 8. And he's been a writer and voice actor in many different shows and movies since then. In 2004, he met Lauren Miller, and while they were both working on The Ollie G Show, and they married in 2011 in California. In 2014, Seth and James Franco both started, uh, starred in a movie which they wrote called The Interview. Do you remember this? No. Okay. This almost caused an international incident uh, because the movie was about interviewing Kim Jong-un. Mm. You remember this now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like legit almost caused some issues <laughs> with the state department and everything um but i the movie wasn't able to be released in in movie theaters because they pulled it and then they brought it back it was a whole thing i watched it on netflix the week that it came out on purpose because i was like no sir you do not get to dictate what the rest of the world gets to watch and it's it's an okay movie the premise is kind of funny mm-hmm. but i was just like who knew that Comedy could do that. You know what I mean? It's literally a joke, dude. Chill. Anyway, Seth is a really busy guy. Even today. So through quarantine, he's been doing pottery. He's actually got some really good pottery. If you like pottery, you know what? I want to try pottery on the pottery wheel. Yeah. Where can we do that? Uh, I don't know. Google. Uh, There's probably a lot of places, you know? He wrote a book. Yep, that's the one I read. And he started a cannabis company called Houseplant. It's fantastic. Where can we do that? Not in our country yet. Well, I mean, he's in California. You can do it in certain places, not in our fucking state, unfortunately. He's also a massive supporter of charity, including Hilarity for Charity. This is an organization that he founded, he and his wife did, to eradicate Alzheimer's. So this is his big thing. He... I mean, I'm all for it because I fucking hate Alzheimer's. It's the worst disease. I have a fun fact for you. Sure. So I didn't understand the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's. Oh, yeah. Dementia is basically a symptom of Alzheimer's. Okay. So it's one of many things you can you have. Yes. Ah, okay. Or vice versa. I forget which way it goes. Still interesting. Yes. They're very closely related. Mm -hmm. So according to the Hilarity for Charity website, four in 10 cases of Alzheimer's may be preventable. Alzheimer's begins in the brain 20 to 30 years prior to the onset of symptoms. And this is why young people can bring light to Alzheimer's. So not only does this organization donate, obviously, to research and science to figure out the cause of Alzheimer's and prevent it and also hopefully cure it. That would be incredible. He's also used his comedy work and stand-up to do comedy shows it's it's still on netflix you can see the one he did for alzheimer's um and just so you know of course we're gonna have a link on our website to where you can go check all this out and donate so if you notice i didn't talk about children at any point here during this conversation and i know it's a trophy dad because he doesn't have any because she's a cheater cheater pumpkin cheater Cheater McCheater pants. And the reason I brought up Seth and the reason I want to talk about him is he's childless by choice. Like Jesse. Like me. Hey. And I feel like it was just a, a a good kind of point or way in to talk about it because it isn't something that I know that is just now being way more normalized to speak about, which I love. And the guilt and shame that I've personally felt with not having children after being asked literally at my wedding if we're going to have children, has carried through many years. So I think it's a really important thing that they're open about something like that because there are a lot of people like myself um, and my pod hubby that we just don't want kids. Something we've talked about long and hard and after many conversations and then health issues, can't have them and don't want them. So I'm fortunate enough to where the health issues corresponded with my choice. Of course, there are a lot of people out there that are childless, not by choice. And I also want to just highlight them and say, hey, it doesn't make you any less of a person by any means. I will accept your choice this time. Thank you. 
So I was just really curious about like the childless by choice thing, like how common is it? And according to a November 2021 Pew Research article, a rising share of U.S. adults who are not already parents say that they are unlikely to ever have children. And their reasons range from just not wanting to have kids to concerns about climate change and the environment. And by the way, that rising share is 44%. Among, I think a lot of people are not having kids because... things are so expensive yes and i don't mean kids i mean it cost half a million dollars to buy a house right now yeah and gas and food is extremely expensive and just basic you one person expenses are expensive yeah completely so i get it absolutely um, so I, according to this article, among parents and non-parents alike, men and women are equally likely to say they probably will not have kids or more kids in the future. So it's not just like a, oh, it's no, a new talking point. It actually is a trend. So interesting. Um, Maybe we'll have more food if less people procreate. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting stance I think I, I think it's way more common now, and I'm just glad that it isn't as you know seen as like oh my gosh why won't you have children you know like as it was in the past. But I think it's important to say like he's still doing good in the world, you know he's still just as viable of a human he and his wife as anybody else not having kids. So that is why I chose him. Besides the fact that I've been really impressed by his work with the Alzheimer's charity work, he's like really hard in on it. Uh, and I think it's really kind of cool. He's basically kind of living the life that I would want to lead if I were rich and famous is I do my movies and my shows. I have my little company, right? And then I hear my charities. I think it's like cool to see someone actually living out their dreams. Right. In a positive way. Right. Did you find some pottery classes that we can take? Yeah, we can do a two hour beginner class. And cl- wheel classes resume May 1st. Oh, fun. Well, we'll let you know if we decide to do that with all that time we have. I mean, even if she doesn't come with me, I will drag my pod hummy or one of my pod children that are coming home from college. Aw. I am so excited. Hey, you want to hear something exciting? Yes. So, Okay. Normally we do this at the beginning of the episode. You know what? We'll do it at the beginning of the next one. Never mind. Y'all stay tuned for the next episode. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much for listening. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.